Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I want you to turn in your Bible with me, please, to... And I did give scriptures to Pastor Kai, none of which I'm going to use. (laughs) Pastor Joe, thanks for looking after us so well tonight. You've got a happy face. When Pastor Joe smiles, the place lights up. He's a very happy man. He's a happy brother. (laughs) Father, would you anoint your word and I need your strength tonight. And uh, Lord, I just need to find the right page too. That would be helpful. Thank you, Lord. Father, I need that touch of your spirit. And I pray the word would cut through and stuff would happen here. Pray that you take hold of every life. Not one person here is going to leave without being changed. And we thank you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody said and shouted and yelled out and screamed. That's it. We got the message. Well done. (laughs) The title of my message is the man who didn't want the anointing enough. The man who didn't want it enough. I want you to go to second Kings. Chapter 13, if you're superstitious, go to 12. You won't be able to follow it, but (laughs) go there. I'm not going to crack jokes. I'm not like my son. Some of you have heard David Hall. His behavior is a disgrace. (laughs) I mean, no, some of the things he says. He cracks all my jokes. He does. Oh, my, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for him. Amen. She's a great young man. He's a good preacher too. Last time I heard him here, I thought I was going to... I can't say that. (laughs) Same problem I nearly had in the lift. Um, Anyway. (laughs) We're going to talk about a sick prophet to start off with. Elisha, the great double-portioned prophet. Elisha. Elijah and Elisha. Elisha was sick, the sickness that was going to take him out. Now, please don't ask me to get into the theology of why this mighty anointed prophet was sick. Um, We haven't got time to get into it, so we'll avoid it. Everybody happy about that? Elisha's sick. He's dying. We don't know what he's dying from, but we know that he has an illness then Joash the king, who had relied upon him and relied upon his anointing, came down to his house because he realized that this prophet had again and again been there for him, prophesying, guiding, directing. And he knew that what was on him was vital to the nation. And he came down to him. Man, how's that voice sound? Creaky? Any minute now a frog will come flying out and hit someone about row six. 
get ready to duck. So Joash came down and he wept over his face. And he said, oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. Exactly the same words that had been uttered by Elisha when he knew that his master, Elijah, was going. It's a big difference between these two men. But now the king came and he used the same words. The same words expressed by Elisha who wanted something significant. I'm talking to people tonight who want to significantly carry the power of God. I'm talking to people tonight who believe that you have a destiny upon your life, not just to be a Christian, not just to carry a Bible, not just to be a minister of the gospel, but to be a person divinely anointed with something profound. Is there anybody here who wants to carry something mighty from God? And Elisha came down to him. And Elisha spoke to him up in the room and he says, take a bow and some arrows. So he reached across, the king reached across to his men and said, give me a bow and some arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, prophet said, put your hand on the bow. Open that window. Servants opened the window. The prophet put his hand on the hand of the king. And he said, pull the bow back and shoot. He fired the arrow. And the prophet Elisha said to him, this is the arrow of deliverance. This is the arrow of the delivering power of God. This is the arrow of the might of God. He said, this is prophetic. I'm putting my anointing on you. Shoot that arrow. Catch something. I believe he was offering to carry the mantle. It was on Elisha. And then he said, now take some arrows. I think we all know this story. And he took some arrows. And he said to the king, I want you to strike these on the ground. The arrows of the Lord's deliverance. I want you to strike them. I want you to strike them like you want something. I want you to strike them like there's something significant for you. And the king must have been self-conscious. He had his courtiers. He wondered, what am I doing playing out some strange game for the prophet? And he struck once. Struck twice, struck three times. So that's enough and handed the arrows back to the servant. And the prophet looked at him. And the Bible says the prophet was wroth. It was wroth. And he said, why didn't you keep 
striking. Why didn't you keep striking? If you kept striking, you'd have had total deliverance. But you just tapped. As you travel around the body of Christ, you find there's people that have a little tap. There's those that occasionally tap. But there's some who really want something. The prophet was wroth. It's a good word. Stinking mad. Madder than a snake. And he walked out. He left. He was in his own house, so I guess he kicked the king out. But no, shortly after he died, he was buried. About a year or so later, when his body had decayed and just bones in the tomb, there was a funeral procession. And they carried a dead man into the cemetery and as they're carrying him in, they looked up and the Midianites were coming. The Midianites were coming over the hill and began to cry out, the Midianites are here and the people ran from the funeral procession. And they said, what are we going to do with old George here? And they looked around and they said, throw him into one of the tombs. I'm sure the people there won't mind. And they found a tomb and it was one of those that went down a sepulchre, down on the ground and winding stairs. It must have been for some reason, some way to get in there. And they got the body and they dropped the body down the stairs and his body rolled down the stairs. And when the dead body of the man reached the bottom of the stairs, he fell onto the bones of the prophet. And there was still enough of the power of God in the bones of the prophet to raise a man from the dead. There's still enough anointing in those bones. Fire in his bones. Supernatural anointing in his bones. Supernatural power of God permeating even in his bones. And I've always thought about that and I thought, oh God, what must the anointing have been like upon Elisha during his lifetime? What must it have been like being around him? What did he carry? What was all over him? What was coming out of him? What was in his appearance? What was in his eyes? What was, what was on him? Then the Lord asked me a question. He said, why was his mighty anointing in a place of death? Why wasn't it handed on? Elijah's anointing was handed on. Elisha's finished up in a tomb. Why was it there? Why wasn't the mighty double portion anointing so great, so mighty? Why was it in a tomb? I'll tell you why. Because the king did not want it enough. It was offered to him. Let me say to you, the anointing is being offered to people. Great things from God are being offered continually. But not many people 
really, excuse me, it's that frog. Not many people really want the anointing enough. I read the people of history that wanted something from God. I was in Los Angeles a few years ago. While I was there, I was invited to preach at a church and I said, I haven't been to this church before. Um, What do you want me to preach on? My Lord said, I want you to preach on the power of God. I want you to talk about Azusa Street. And I said, all right, do that. When I got there, I found that I was two blocks from the little house in Bonnie Bray Street where the great revival, Sousa Street revival broke out. And I got up and preached. And as I began to preach, the power of God began to flow. The anointing began to fill the building. I started to invite people. Some come up onto the platform. I remember one guy bouncing across the platform and fell off the end. I said to them, what you're seeing here now, this is a Sousa Street. What you're seeing here, this manifest power of God, is what happened at Azusa Street when great revival broke out. And I began to share how Daddy Seymour, a one-eyed black man, African-American man, blind in one eye, had smallpox, his face disfigured, how he had been in a schoolroom studying the scriptures in, in Texas while he was there in the schoolroom of Fox Parham he wasn't allowed to come into the class because he was had pigment in his skin because he's black so he sat outside and listened through the door and he couldn't join in prayer but that humble man just got the word there and put up with the racist attitude Well, he went to L.A. to a church and he'd heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but he hadn't received it. So he preached at the church about the baptism of the Spirit that he had not yet received and uh, he was kicked out. So he said, God, what do I do? What do I do now? What do I do? And the Lord said, start to seek my face. And he said, how much? He said, give me five hours a day. And he began to pray five hours a day, pressing into God. See, token prayer gets you nowhere. Token prayer is an insult to God. The prayer that will get you somewhere is throne room prayer where you set your face that you're going for however long to transact business. When you get away in a tent for a few days or you go away to a beach house or you get up in the morning and you seek the face of God until a room fills with the glory of God. It's a huge difference, token prayer. Little itty bitty little prayers with not enough power to blow the wax off a peanut. (laughs) But he pressed in and he pressed in and he pressed in and he pressed in and he pressed in for months. He said, God, what do we do? And God said, step it up to seven hours. Then he began to pray seven hours a day, crying out to God. One night they were having a prayer meeting at Mr. Lee's house. 
And the power of God hit. And they hit the floor. Mr. Lee got the baptism and a lady called Agnes jumped up and leapt onto the piano and began to play like a concert pianist under the hand of God. Never learned a note in her life. People crowded all across the street. They came onto the veranda, that little house. So many on the veranda that the roof began to break. The veranda began to come down. People on the other side of the road start to fall under the power of God. The anointing was so strong. They began to have meetings every night from six to midnight. The meetings got stronger. They wound up in an old stable. In that stable, people would be under the power for 24 hours. People going around in summer, fanning the flies off them. The most remarkable manifestations of power was that humble man would put his head in a fruit box and pray. People say, what were the results? The results of that whole thing were that there was such an outpouring that they had a march that year of people that had been impacted. And 180,000 people marched the streets of LA. Every church in the city, the baptism of the Holy Spirit had come upon them. In 1906-7, straight after, major denominations grew and the figures 870 odd thousand people. Five years later, it was 2 million. The baptism of the Spirit spread across America and came here. Came here. What happens when someone says, I want something enough? My experience over the years as a Christian, and I met thousands upon thousands of people, but I find handfuls of people that when you meet them and you talk to them and you look them in the eye, you sense they're not satisfied just to be an ordinary Christian. They're not satisfied just to live in normal Christian life but there's something of a craving down in their gut that says if I don't touch you Lord if I don't get something if I don't break through into something I'm going to go mad someone says how can you keep going in ministry all these years I had a man out there he said I was in one of your meetings when I was 16 heard you preach when I was 16 he said I'm 54 now it's not just one or two generations. I remember coming here to the church here a few years ago for four nights. We stayed 11 weeks, four nights a week. The power of God filled the house night after night after night after night after night. Love this place. But Australia's in a position right now where God is knocking on the door of people that want something. And he's saying... Unless the church and every individual in the churches start to get desperately hungry, Australia's going to get swallowed up with a dark spirit, an antichrist spirit. And Melbourne is like the flagship. I wonder why they chose Melbourne to be the flagship for the new world order. I wonder why. And that's what it is. 2018, they had that strong cities thing here, hosted here. And the aim is that this be the blueprint. Why? Why has the devil chosen this city? Well, 
I think he's made a big mistake. I think he made a big mistake. Because there's something happening in this church that's unique. There's something happening at Planet Shakers. There's something happening pockets across this city. But I'm looking around now and I don't just see one or two that are standing out. I see a whole congregation here that just looking through, I feel like I could almost walk through and prophesy over one after another of you. The hunger that's on you, the passion that's in your spirit, the passion for the power of God. There's a man called Billy Sunday, a little baseballer. This little guy got saved. He was a fast-running little guy. and He got saved in the early, early in the last century in America. He would go to a city to preach. When he went to that city to preach, he would take the top room of a hotel. And he'd look out over the city and he'd sit there in a chair looking out over the lost city. His musician would come through and He'd say to him, they're lost, Roly. They're going to hell. An hour later, he'd be on his face groaning, weeping, groaning for souls. I'm talking about groaning for souls. See, that surfacey, surfacey prayer avails little. It's the fervent, powerful prayer of a righteous man or woman that avails. Elijah was a man of like passion to you and I, and yet he prayed earnestly and with prayer that it might not rain. A man of like passion. People would come down and say, a man's dying up there. They'd say, no, it's Billy Sunday interceding for our nation, for our city. Weeks on his face, Weeks, nights, weeks, crying out until he knew that now he had the substance for that city. And he'd get dressed and get out there and preach and the whole city's turned to Christ. Rochester, New York, New York, New York, New York, turned to Christ. They say that in his meetings, the people flocked to the altar and the tears ran like rivulets across the front of the altar. Great revivals always start the same way. When a whole bunch of people get so passionate, I don't know about you, I'm sick of what's going on in this country. I don't mind telling you all the stuff that they've got planned and they've been doing and the Garbage that's gone on. Stirs up something deep down within you. And you go past being angry to a point where you go, okay, this is how it is, is it? Okay. That's it. It's all systems. It drives you in the spirit. Drives you after God. Revival's not going to come by nice meetings. It's not going to come by talent. It's not going to come by good looks or fashion. 
or making preachers famous, setting them up as movie stars. It's going to come when humble people find the secret place of the Most High and lock themselves in with God. And don't come out until they know the blazing fire of God burning in their gut like a furnace. How hungry are we tonight? Every revival and I got so much stuff on revival. Great moves of God, passionate people. I remember as a young man and I'm planning to go I used to go into the mountains regularly when I start to feel a bit flat. Go, that's it, I'm going out just to, just to get with God. Greatest times of my life are not ministering. All ministry is is giving to people what you've got alone with Him. Ministry is just letting the water flow out of the wells you've dug. If you don't dig the wells, it's surface. I remember being asked, I was only saved a couple of years and Pastor Andrew Evans, Russell's dad. We'd start a little church about 18 months after being saved and just lived in fasting and prayer. Didn't know much about it. I was just taught, spoken to by a guy. He said, have you know much about prayer and fasting? I said, no. He said, let's, let's start to pray two days, a couple of days a week. We'll fast. And every night I go down along the river and pray for four or five hours every night, cry out to God. I was a, a senior master of an art department at that point. I'd go down at night and just seek the face of God and walk with God and seek God and say, God, I can't get enough of you. I can't seem to get enough of you. How can I get more of you? And we get into fasting and prayer and craving for God. Something happens when we begin to crave the anointing. I'm not going to preach much longer. I'm starting to get on a roll. I'm starting to get a stirring in my gut because I actually believe that I'm talking to a whole bunch of people that are passionate for the secret place I remember Pastor Andrew said would you come and take on the youth I said well yes I want to but I want to take three weeks to get away with God and I remember saying to the Lord, where do I go? And I remember Jesus used to go into the wilderness. And I think there's something about, for me, the outback South Australia was the place I loved to go and still do. So I got a, actually got a, a flight with a light plane and got dropped off out in the northern Flinders. And I said, would you pick me up in 21 days? And just got out there with God, walking up and down and, what do you pray? What do you pray? Father, oh God, oh God, let every cell of my being pulse with your divine anointing. Let the, the life of God pump out of every cell. Oh God, come and permeate my life. And I remember going back for our first meeting I said, God, what do we start with? And he said, 
talk to them about revival through prayer and fasting. We had a Saturday and young people start to scream and shout and roll across the ground. We had a night meeting and demons were coming out screaming and I remember walking down into the altar from the altar and as I walked down amongst them for about 20 feet around me, people, as I walked in amongst them, they just fell on every side under the hand of God. We got a team together and I said, God, what do we do? And he said, in leadership, you can only take them where you've gone. I've been in lots of leadership stuff. If you're a leader... You can only take people where you yourself have gone. I said, okay. Every Friday night from seven to midnight, we pray. Once every six weeks, the first 70 people get their name in. I guess the youth group was probably about 60 so kids then. First 60 or 70 names that we get in. We'll go and pray all night from seven o'clock till sunrise and on a farm, we'd go up to a place called Hawthorne Farm and the youth group just exploded. Suddenly we had things happening like a fire. Hundreds of kids coming out, neck braces and crutches and sticks going down. And I remember we had a, a camp and I'm just reminiscing because I've tried to keep the intensity. Someone says, how do you keep going for all these years? You're 73 most people retiring. How do you keep going? I keep going because I keep finding the secret place. And no matter how you feel, it's out of the secret place that you keep going. It's where it is. And I remember we would have a half night of prayer every week. And it came, we we're having a camp. And uh, we're on this camp. And I used to lead the choruses a bit in that worship I'm not much good now but I was leading and I looked up and I saw silver droplets coming down like mercury and every person that was struck just went down under the paragon and I watched and I said God what is this he said you're seeing mercy drops <coughs> he said but the day's coming when you're going to see thunderstorms. I stood out on fields. I remember one night in Bougainville, 10,000 people there, and the Lord said, wave your hand. As far as I could see the crowd, he said, wave your hand. I said, in the, in the name belong Jesus. And from front to back, they were slain as far as I could see Demons screaming, people getting healed, the glory of God. You know, over the years, someone says, what's your ministry? I said, I get called an evangelist. I don't really know. All I know is that I want to challenge people that there's something that God has for you that there's a dimension of the Spirit of God that King Joash didn't want enough. And he had a little victory. And most Christians will have a little victory. But then there's the exceptions that 
are not going to tap the arrows of prayer and fasting, but are going to strike, 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 and keep on striking. There's those that will not go, like Jacob of old, will not let go until the blessing of God floods through your life. God is looking for some people whom he can trust to carry a mighty anointing of the Spirit. He's looking for a church in Melbourne and churches in Melbourne. And this is one of the great churches in Melbourne. And there's things that are happening here that are very unique. But he's looking for a church, maybe some churches, because I know we're pounding it over there at Planet Shakers, pushing in for something big. I know there's individuals across this city. But he's looking for a church that's going to carry such an anointing with every individual so charged that it's going to stand out as a firebrand to the nation. And people from, I believe I'm prophesying right now, that people from all over the nation are going to come to take fire and say, can we take the fire from your camp and take it back to our place? There are going to be people here raised up that are going to go into the nations in the most extraordinary dimensions of power. There are people here that are going to open and plant or be involved in church plants that are going to be extraordinary. Pastor Corey's talked about the churches that you're opening and planning and thinking about. But that's just going to be the start. We have to have a revival to swallow up this city and get some time to get the harvest in. If the church of Jesus Christ in Australia does not rise up, pity help us. But I believe that there are a whole bunch of people full of the Holy Ghost, hungry, passionate, desperate. We're going to New Guinea. When I come back, set aside some weeks, and I want to just get back out in the mountains. And every one of us need to have a place where we can go. Your pastor, he's in prayer before most people are probably up. He lives in it. Pastor Simone, I guarantee, is the same. Oh, God. Oh, God. Are there some people here tonight desperate for the supernatural? Are there any people here tonight that would say, Oh, God, I was born for this hour. I mean, is there anybody here and something inside you is just so pulsing that you think, My God. It's either all of you or this world's not worth living in. John Knox stood over Scotland and he cried out, Oh God, give me Scotland or let me die. I haven't talked about these things tonight to lift myself in any way. Because I know that every good thing that ever happens in our meetings is 
The Holy Spirit's not me, it's the goodness of God. And all I know is that dependence on Him is the start of everything. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.